0: So it's page 1184 if you are in the the book. I think that's my favorite thing to do is say the book. 1184. We're going to pick up from the verses that Daniel focused on last week and move in. And then we're going to read through verse 20 this morning. Where if you are in the book, it'll look like I'm stopping right in the middle. But in reality, I'm stopping at the end of a paragraph. Even though it doesn't look like a paragraph here. The way it breaks down in the, the Greek, it paragraphs, that would be where a paragraph would end. So it's a thought. ends right there. So Colossians 1. You want to stand with me and we will read Colossians or I will read and you will listen. Colossians one, thirteen to twenty. And follow along. These are as I was thinking about that this this week, this might be I'm I'm not staking my life on it, but this might be my favorite paragraph in all of Scripture. It it is really rich. Very good. Colossians 15 to 20, That, that par- the paragraph we're going to look at this morning. So really pay attention. Verse 13. For he, speaking about God the Father, has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. God has purchased our freedom with his blood, meaning Jesus' blood, and has forgiven all our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began, and he holds all creation together. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the first of all who will rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and by him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood shed on the cross. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would Teach us, open our eyes, our spiritual eyes to grasp and to see and to be amazed and impacted by the truths that are in this scripture. Father, as you say in your word in John that we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. And Father, I pray that this truth that we're going to look at this morning would bring freedom in the hearts and in the minds and the lives of us who are here this morning because we've spent time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me sit down. This says tea strainer for those of you that don't have good enough eyes to see this far. (laughs) But this isn't just any old tea strainer just because I purchased it at the dollar store. But this tea strainer is meticulously and carefully made so that it is better than any other tea strainer that you could buy. This tea strainer is superior in its construction and its and its function that's what I'm looking for to any other tea strainer in the market I mean even for five hundred dollars more. This tea strainer is good because I mean it works good. you can pinch it, it opens up, it closes it doesn't stick you know it won't rust because of the uh, materials that it's made with, although they're unidentified. <laughs> um, the m- this is serious. <laughs> it's the mesh, the size of the mesh. If any of you are tea connoisseurs out there, is, is the right mesh size. <laughs> What's that? The right gauge, thank you, that's right. So that you can use it with green tea, rooibos tea, black tea, purple tea. Oh, sorry, that's that was a joke. White tea. There is white tea. I know that. And and the you know the little leafy things won't leach out into your tea, defiling and ruining that beautiful cup of tea. This tea, because it's superior in its construction and its function, will give you the best cup of tea possible. <laughs> Better than any other tea strainer could do. We're selling them. We have a bunch over there if you'd like to buy one. <laughs> <laughs> at the, at the, and they are... Good plug, this good plug. is... And they're only f- four ninety five plus tax. Sorry, <coughs> See, you guys, you guys didn't think I went to a business conference, did you? Yeah, I learned about being a good business. Uh, just one more thing. We'll 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 skip this one. Besides, it's empty. How many of you have? well, we're going to really make some people stick out. No, I won't say. I'm sure most of you have purchased a pound of fresh, custom-roasted coffee from the Coffee Oasis. If you haven't, not only have you made poor financial decisions in your life, (laughs) you, you have also cheated yourself of one of the most amazing experiences that you could. This coffee is organic, fair trade, so not only... Does it help provide jobs here? But it helps provide jobs in all the countries that this marvelous blend comes from. I'm not going to tell you the coffees, the varietals that make up this blend. Otherwise, I'd have to kill you. (laughs) Because this high-quality blend, we don't want anybody else to try to reproduce it. Each varietal is roasted individually according to its best potential, and then blend it together. So this compassionate blend not only is compassionate on your budget, but it's also compassionate <laughs> on your belly because of the amazing blend that it is. I, I mean, I could almost, you know, I'm being partly joking, partly serious, but people rave about this, this compassionate blend. It... I could easily claim that it is superior to any other blend you could get out there. <laughs> the um, This lady thinks I'm selling something, probably. Um, so, <clears throat> because of its superiority a- as a blend... <laughs> 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 it will provide you the best coffee drinking experience possible. Okay. (coughs) Okay. (coughs) Now, if you're going to watch the Super Bowl a little bit later, (coughs) there is coffee available that you can purchase for your... (laughs) They're game enjoyment. No, that's good. You're going to be bombarded, okay? You're going to be bombarded by a bunch of advertisements. And those advertisements, the majority of them, are going to do, whether you know it or not, what I just attempted to do. They're going to try and convince you that whatever it is, whether it's a car or cell phone service, or beer, or... Doritos. Doritos. Whatever it is, it is the best you can get out there. And because of its superior nature, it will satisfy you like no other could. No other beer, or no other chips, or no other car, or no other cell phone, or whatever, will be advertised this morning. Because of its superiority... It will suffice like nothing else can. Now, believe it or not, all those illustrations (coughs) bring us to Colossians chapter 1. And I think the heart of what Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, are talking about. So look with me. And I'm going to just capture what I think the heart of Colossians 1, 15 to 20 is, and then we're going to look at it. And like I said earlier, I think this might be one of, if not my favorite paragraph in all of scripture because of what it teaches us about Christ, just in a really powerful nutshell. Now, picking up from verses 13 and 14, just to give a little background what Daniel talked about last week, I want, I want to just read them and then I'm going to give you the crux of what 15 to 20 are about as we're just going to kind of go through it and how they follow, verses 13 and 14. God rescued us, verse 13, from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's the word redemption. He's he's rescued us from that slavery to, to to the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son. He's purchased our freedom with his blood and has forgiven all of our sins. Those are some amazing truths aren't they? But I think Paul is, Paul is a really logical, reasoning kind of guy. As he says those truths, the, the thought that comes to his mind is, well, who is this person that has done that? That has so rescued and redeemed us and transferred us and, and purchased this all with his blood on the cross. Who is this person? And that's the person that Paul describes in verses 15 to 20. And to give you, to capture who this person is, I would say Paul is describing the supremacy or the superiority, whatever word you like, the supremacy. And therefore, the sufficiency of Christ for everything you need. Because of his supremacy, because of his superiority to everything, to everyone, because of his supremacy and superiority, he is sufficient for whatever your need is. More sufficient than anything else. Christ has for you what you need. What your need is, he's sufficient because of his superiority. Now, Paul does it in two ways. Just to give you an outline, in verses 15 through 17, he says that Christ is superior or supreme over creation, okay? And the word that is used, if you don't have, if you're not looking at the Bible I have, which is kind of a modern translation, the key word there is firstborn, Okay? It says that Christ is firstborn over all creation. What does that mean? Firstborn over all creation. I mean, we can almost some by, by by a casual reading, you can almost think, well, that just means he was the first person born. And that's what the Gnostics. One of the things that the Gnostics way back that Paul is responding to in this letter to the Colossians, is that they taught that God created all things, but but the first thing that God created was Jesus and he was the greatest of all things created. And that's what they understood by the firstborn of all creation. What does it really mean, the firstborn? But before we talk about that, I want you to look down at, in verses 15 to 17, it says he's the firstborn of all creation. But then it goes on in verses eight, in verse 18 to say he's the firstborn, what does it say there? Firstborn from the dead. Okay, so the word firstborn is the key word here and it appears in two in both of these places kind of outlining this section saying that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation and he's the firstborn from the dead and because of that notice what it says in at the end of verse 18 so he is first in everything that is the heart of what Paul is wanting to put across by those words and by the, by the explanations that we see in verses 15 through 18, that Christ is supreme over everything. Turn with me, if you would, to... Oh, my goodness, I just lost my... Um, I'm going to see if I can remember this from memory because I didn't write it down. Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Way back, about the middle of the Old Testament... Psalm 89. Yep. start of verse 19. It's page 612 in this Bible. 612. I want us to understand just quickly what first what it means when it calls Jesus the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead. Psalm 89:19. You once spoke in a vision to your prophet and said, I have given help to a warrior. I have selected him from the common people to be king. I have found my servant David. I have anointed him with my holy oil. So this, these few verses are going to be talking about David, King David, who God selected to be his anointed king and through whom the Messiah would come through his line. Okay? I will steady him. I will make him strong. His enemies will not get the best of him, nor will the wicked overpower him. I will beat down his adversaries before him, destroy those who hate him. My faithfulness and unfailing love will be with him. He will rise to power because of me. I will extend his rule from the Mediterranean Sea to the west, to the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in the east. And he will say to me, You are my Father, my God, the rock of my salvation. I will make him my. There's the word right there. I will make him my firstborn son, the mightiest king on earth. Now, why is David called the firstborn son there? Well, it, said, it really describes it immediately from what follows, the mightiest king on the earth. Now, why was that? Why was he given that designation, God's firstborn, the mightiest king on the earth? is because he, it was through his kingly line that the Messiah would come. And so God sees him as the supreme of all earthly kings. The first of all earthly kings. Not literally the first of kings, because there are many kings that came before him. I mean, his father. You know, I mean, you go on and on. I mean, there were, Saul was a king before him. Um, but it... God is described because through his line the Messiah would come. He was the the greatest of all kings, the supreme of all kings. Back to Colossians, and we're just going to quickly go through here. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. It's like the invisible God. The Bible says God is spirit. If God was in your bathroom in front of your bathroom mirror, Invisible, and you looked in your bathroom mirror, you would see Jesus. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says he's the exact representation of God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, God of very gods. And how do we know that? Because he existed before God made anything at all. He's supreme over all creation. Notice, he's the one through whom God created everything else. And so when it talks about Jesus being firstborn over all creation, it doesn't mean he's the first of all creation. It means he's supreme over all creation because all things were created through him, things that we can see, things that we can't see, kings, kingdoms, rulers, authorities... These are the same words that are used in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 6 that describe the principalities and powers in the angelic realm. And so everything, whether it's what we can see with our visible eyes or whether what we can't see, the spiritual angelic realm out there, it all came into being through Jesus. Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began, and He holds all creation together. That word, the theological word for that, is providence. Not only does He, did He create everything; everything came into being through Him and for Him. He's the one who holds all of creation together. He's supreme over all creation. Now, if it was just that, we could say that in and of itself makes him sufficient for what we need if he is that powerful of a being. I mean, you just, I mean, this song, the beautiful song we sang earlier, it talks about the galaxy. I mean, it just talks about how beautiful he is. I mean, I just, Cindy, as we were in Oregon the last several days and was describing where we live to some people, and she said the most, one of the most beautiful sights in the world is driving across the Warren Avenue Bridge. And you look to the left, and you see Mount Rainier. <laughs> you look to the right, and you see the Olympic Mounds, and you got the water unfolding and all the trees. And I, Some of my greatest worship experiences have been driving over the Warren Avenue Bridge and saying, wow, God. And that's the person we're talking about right here supreme over all of that because he made all of that and he holds it all together. And not only what we can see, but what we can't see billions of light years away, the billions of galaxies. He holds it all together. I think that might make him adequate to take care of what your need is. But it's more than that. Not only is he supreme over creation, in verse 18 we pick up and the phrase, "the firstborn from the dead" declares him as being supreme over the new creation. Not only, not only the, the creation that came into being, however many years ago it came into being, but over the new creation, because the old creation, what happened to it? Is Genesis chapter three, the old creation became, came under a curse because of our sin became defiled and human, humanity became separated and, and all of creation, not only humanity, but, but the animal kingdom and the, and, the, and the universe around us just became scarred and cursed by sin and needed a new creation. And that's who Jesus is. He's not only supreme over the old creation, the creation of the universe, but he's supreme over the new creation, God's, Plan and God's work to recreate things, to make things new when they became bad. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He's the first of all who will rise from the dead. (coughs) Excuse me. So he is first in everything. And I just want to put that in a package really quickly for you. He's supreme over creation. And then creation went bad. Scarred by sin. Cursed by sin. And God brought about a plan to make all things new. To bring humanity and all creation back into relationship with him. And who did he use to do that? Who did he choose to carry out that plan? The one who brought the first creation into being is the same one who God used to bring the new creation into being. So Jesus is supreme over creation and he's supreme over the new creation so that he's supreme over everything. Everything that God has done, he's done through Jesus. Everything that the Father has purposed, it's been the Son that has carried it out in creating us and sustaining us and saving us and so he's supreme verse 20 verse 19 this is a powerful phrase for god in all his fullness was pleased to live in christ and what that basically says simply is that god through christ chose to demonstrate and reveal and carry out everything that he's ever done. All of his fullness, his goodness, his righteousness, his mercy, his holiness, his justice, God and all of his character and all of his fullness and everything that he is, he chose that all of that would be revealed through Christ and Christ alone. And that's why it says in John chapter 1 that Jesus... As he came and the word dwelt among us, we saw him and beheld him, the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. A revelation and a demonstration of the fullness of God. So Jesus said, and as I quoted earlier, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so God, in all of his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. You know, this wasn't just a temporary dwelling. It's one of the things that the Gnostics taught that Paul is refuting through what he's teaching here, that the fullness of God dwelt in a diluted fashion in a lot of different people and temporarily, not permanently. It's interesting, Paul's using this word, the fullness, to say that fullness, it's all in Christ and only in Christ, completely in Christ, the revelation of who God is, to what we need, and it's there permanently. The word where it says, "For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ," there's there's actually two words that can be translated to live, and one means to live permanently, and one means to live temporarily, like to just temporarily sojourn, like a you know, like a nomadic kind of person. In Saul and Genesis, 30, flip to Genesis 37.1, if you would. Genesis, first book in the Bible. Genesis 37.1. And we see both words in this verse here. It says, Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had <coughs> lived. Not really a very good translation. In my New American Standard, it says sojourned, and that's a better translation. Jacob settled where Isaac sojourned. And both words are right there. The first word is that settled, to where Jacob set up house and lived there permanently where Isaac had only sojourned, had passed through. The word in Colossians chapter 1 here is that settled word. The fullness of God's being, the complete, full revelation of his character and his attributes and everything that he is communicating to us lived in Christ. It wasn't just temporarily you know a temporary little revelation but it was God in all of his being in Christ revealing himself to us the supremacy of Christ the superiority of Christ being sufficient for everything we need and that's how it kind of ends in chapter in verse 20 for God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and by him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. What made Christ's blood on the cross sufficient for our need? See, if I were to go back to Genesis chapter 3 and what happened there, Adam and Eve living in intimate, close, wonderful relationship with God and then sin entered and and sin separated them from God. They became enemies of God. They became, there became this en- enmity, this hostility, this, this separation. And we see how quickly from that intimacy in the Garden of Eden and from that amazing fellowship, God walking and talking with them, we go into Genesis chapter, well, that's in Genesis chapter 3, and what do we immediately see in Genesis chapter 4? We see Murder. We see conflict between Cain and Abel and we see murder and from then on the world is in havoc. The world is in shambles. There's constant hostility and enmity and conflict and problems and sickness. And Who's sufficient to take that? this creation which became this place of separation from God and and recreate it and, and reconcile it to God who would be sufficient for that God makes it really clear in the Psalms There, no man can save another I mean, you know some of us can have pretty good self images and, and that's the goal of the world that we all feel good about it, our, ourselves you know and we all have a, you know, this power of positive thinking and good self image and good self esteem and but I tell you, you can think as good about yourself as you want to think, and it's, it's good to think good about ourselves. But I tell you, myself and none of you and nobody else is sufficient for what we need to be reconciled, to be brought back into relationship, for this world that was so amazingly created and became cursed to be brought back into beauty of, and harmony and peace with God. That's what it says. He reconciled everything to himself. He made peace. Well, there wasn't peace, and it was done through the blood of his cross. Why was Jesus sufficient for that? He was sufficient because he was superior. And so as God himself, the fullness of God in human form, he could go to the cross, a sufficient sacrifice for our sin. Why the shedding of blood? Because the wages of sin is death and the life of the body is in the blood and shedding his blood and giving his life, he paid the penalty of our sin. He ransomed us from the slavery of sin and death and the devil, from the domain of darkness. Because of who he is, because of his supremacy, he was sufficient to be our sacrifice on the cross so that we could be brought back into relationship with God and life. You know, to me, it's, it's a very simple and maybe seems simplistic to you definition of why things are really messed up and screwed up in the world that we live in, but it's because we're separated from God. Because we're separated from God. And I can, my, my personal life illustrates that so simply. When I am in relationship with God, and I am walking in fellowship and relationship with God, my wife can tell a difference. My kids can tell a difference, and probably my employees can tell a difference. When I'm not walking in relationship with God, and... And I'm separated from him because I'm caught up in my own selfishness and my lusts and my anger and my irritabilities and my frustrations. And, and I'm allowing those things to separate me from God. And and I'm not finding Christ to be sufficient. And I'm not looking to him to bring me back into relationship with God. See, this isn't a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. It's a daily coming before him and a daily depending upon him and a daily looking to him and a, to him who is sufficient to bring us back into relationship with God because of his blood that was shed on the cross. And as I come back and, and confess my sins, he's faithful and just to, to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness and, and to restore that relationship and to bring me back into life. He's sufficient because he's superior. You get that? It's pretty simple. He is the fullness of God in in bodily form. And it's through Him that God staked everything the creating of the world, the recreating of the world, the redeeming of mankind, the reconciling of the universe. It's all in Christ. So He's sufficient for what we need. In fact, He alone is sufficient and able to bring us into life, into real life, into relationship with God. Now, I realize because I'm thick-headed and and you all are (laughs) thick-headed, is that, you know, we just like to do it our own way, don't we? I mean, repeatedly, every day, every week, Even though we know it won't bring life, we keep running after things that we think, ah, this will satisfy. This will be sufficient. But there's only one thing that can truly satisfy. There's only one who's sufficient, and it's Jesus. Let me just end with an illustration that I've used before, but to me it, it captures it really well. If you want... You have a light, right? And you go to turn on the light, and you turn on the light, and it doesn't give light. So you're thinking, what's wrong with this stupid light? Or maybe you don't think stupid light. What's wrong with this nice light, okay? <laughs> and uh, so what do you do? You, you think, ah, it must be the light bulb. So you go and you get another new light bulb. You shake it. It doesn't shake, so you know it's a good light bulb. You put it in. You turn it on. It still doesn't work. Now you're beginning to think if you're more patient than me this is a stupid light. And so what are you going to do? You're thinking, oh, "Let me see. It must be the it must be the you know, the little thingamajig, the socket, thank you." <laughs> Tell I'm not a mechanic. Socket. So you go to Lowe's and you buy a new socket, you install it, you put the new light bulb in and you pull the chain and it still doesn't work. Well, some of us aren't that quick. So you think, you know, what it needs is I need a new lampshade, right? (laughs) I was just joking. None of you are that. You wouldn't think a lampshade would help, right? Some of us are that silly, you know? Maybe if I just try a new kind of um, new clothes, you know, make it look better on the outside. And we think of all these ways until finally, you know, this would be where my wife would say, honey, I don't think it's plugged in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we try all kinds of things like that. When there's only one way it's plugging into it's plugging into the power. It's plugging into the life. You can we can try everything. We can try this, we can change that. We can but we've got to be if we're separated from life we cannot experience real life and the only one sufficient to reconcile us and bring us back into relationship with life day by day by day is the one who's supreme he created life he restored us to life he is life why look somewhere else just a question i want to leave with you what are you doing about Jesus? Think of who he is from these few verses. What are you doing about Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you so loved us. You gave your one and only Son, so that through him we could have life. The Lord of life, the creator of life, the restorer of life, the one who purchased our life. Oh, Father, thank you for Jesus. Oh, Father, please just forgive us for running after all other kinds of things to find life when life is in Jesus. Amen.